How about there? There we go. <laughs> uh, welcome to Graduation Celebration Sunday, um, also Memorial Day weekend. We have a lot going on. Um, but we are, we are glad that you're all here. And uh, this morning, if there are any of my N2 students out in the audience, I need your help. I need you to stand up and come forward on the front row here. I have some boxes of nails. Everybody in the room needs a nail. Don't hurt yourself, especially Kyle. They're sharp. Okay. We, uh, we waited till, till now to hand these out. We didn't want any injuries. I asked Chip if it was okay uh, for us to pass out sharp objects to the congregation. He said yes. So uh, we decided to wait past worship time. That way if somebody got carried away clapping or something, you know, we wouldn't have any, uh, any, any blood spilled or shed because we, we handed out objects to everybody this morning. Um, we have been, uh, we've been going through a series, and, and um, this morning we're going to kind of wrap this all up, kind of tie it all up. Uh, it's called Scent, a hands and feet lifestyle. And uh, during this series, we've kind of learned that the, the idea is that after we, are, after we are saved, after Jesus comes into our life, after we become a believer, uh, that uh, something then happens. God gives us something. God gives us gifts. Uh, we call them spiritual gifts. Uh, we read in Romans 12 that it lays out these seven gifts. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. Uh, and, and we believe that at, so after, we, after Jesus comes into our life, God, God gives us these things. And, and to find out why, we just continue reading in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. This is normally... Um, a benediction verse or, or a passage, but I want to read it for you this morning. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, we are equipped with these spiritual gifts after we become a believer, but why? Why do we have them? Well, we, we found that out too throughout this series. Pastor Chip has shared with us each week, John 20, 21. Uh, after Jesus had come back uh, to life that, that Easter morning and that, that evening, he appeared to the disciples and he said again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we've been equipped, and now we know why we've been equipped, because we are going to be sent. We're going to be sent out. Uh, and uh, then uh, it's important as we go out, and we've got these gifts that Pastor Chip shared with us last week, that uh, we need to live what we call a Jesus lifestyle. It's not good if we go out and we're sent, and we go out and what we show the world around us isn't what Jesus himself portrayed 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. There's no debate. We're followers of Jesus. We're called to be sent. That's not a question. That's just part of if you become a believer, that's what happens next. So we're sent. We're equipped to go out. We're equipped. To, we're given these new gifts and abilities to go out into the world, uh, and into, the, into the, the kingdom, and to share and use these gifts. Um, but... Uh, Today we're going to find out something else that we, we need to be aware of as we go out. Something that will magnify our efforts. Something that will help us to, to, to be even more effective in the kingdom as followers of Jesus. Uh, when that, uh, that kind of brings me to what you received, the nail. Um, when, I, when Gabby and I, we, uh, when we were first married, 
And uh, we were living in an apartment. There became a time when the apartment was just too small. And no, it wasn't because we added anybody to it. It was just we got more stuff, right? And all of a sudden, that, uh, that two-bedroom, one-bath apartment, for whatever reason, just felt cramped. We were tired of carrying our groceries up a flight of stairs every time we came home. We were tired of parking our car out in the elements and having to, to go out and, and you know, scrape layers of frost and ice off in the morning and the wintertime and getting in and having your skin stick to the seat when your car's a million degrees in the summertime. And we just thought, you know what, if we would, could just find a house, like that, that would work. But when, as soon as we started talking about that, as soon as we even mentioned the word house, I got this like lump in the back of my throat. Um, my brothers can handle any uh, handyman task thrown their way. They can, they could tear down a house and rebuild it. No problem. For whatever reason, I missed that ability. Like my, when my mom gave it to everybody else and had nothing left for me when I came along, I can't, I, I mean, I'm learning, I'm learning where I'm a lot, a lot better now than I was then. But when we started talking about a house, I knew like with our price range, we're probably gonna have to find something used the moment we move into it. Um, I'm gonna have to fix things. Things are gonna break. Things are gonna need repaired. I'm gonna have to mow lawns. I'm gonna have to get equipment to mow lawns. I'm gonna have to do all this stuff. Uh, and I'm not gonna know how to fix it or do it. Uh, and so we start looking, and sure enough, in our price range, that's what kind of we were looking at. We're looking at stuff we got to fix up, um, stuff we had to, I mean, paint. I could paint, um, so I wasn't too, too worried about that. Uh, but nothing we were finding was really in the area of town we wanted to be in. And so we kept looking, and, and we decided, well, what would happen if we took a tour of a new house? I'm telling you, it was like, like the shows on HGTV where you go in, they show the people these, this house they can't afford, and they love it, and they fall in love with the, the appliances, the way they built the house, the size of the house, all the storage that's available in the house, and then they come and they tell them, ah, oh, but it's uh, like four grand over your, your, your price range. And so we did that to ourselves, and I don't know why we did that to ourselves, but we only toured these new homes, and we really liked them, and there was a neighborhood just down the street from the church that I was working at, and I thought, well, this would be just great if we could, if we could get something in this house. And so, you know, we're walking through there telling us all the different options that they can do if, they, you know, if, we, if we bought this, this, this space and put this type of design of a house on it and, and all this, and I'm, I'm getting really excited, and then they yeah, just drop the price number on you, and you're just bummed. And so, like, the second or third time we did this, and again, we were glutton for punishment. We went back a second or a third time to do this. And on, this, on the way back, uh, we drove by this house that was already built, but it looked, it looked brand new. The yard was still, like, growing, like, they just had planted the grass, and uh, you could tell they, they had blocked the driveway off. There were no tire marks and stuff on the cement. It looked all new. So I thought, well, what's up with that house? And, and the lady who was trying to get me to buy one of the houses that they were building said, well, we, we don't know about them. Uh, that was just a builder that came in, bought that one spot, built that house, and put it there. We don't know anything about it. Uh, but you'd be much more happy if you bought this lot back here with this, with, with this house design on it and all this. And so we were like, well, as soon as we got done with her, we went back and we checked out the house that was in the front. And uh, sure enough, it was built by a builder who didn't build anything else in the neighborhood, just that house. And um, we, we, we began to look at it, and we found out, price-wise, it was a lot different we could actually afford this. And immediately all of that anxiety that, that uh, you've got to fix everything with this house, you basically have to rebuild it, uh, all of that stress went away. And we bought a new house. And it was fantastic. 
We move things in. We, we, we put stuff. I, I was a little nervous. Like every time you like put something somewhere and you can see like a tiny little scratch on the floor and you know that wasn't there and you did that, that kind of made me nervous. But um, everything else was great. And uh, I didn't paint anything. I didn't fix anything. I didn't need to go get anything. It was just ready to go. Um, I had to go buy a lawnmower. But other than that, we were good to go. And uh, we, were, we were there for, for a few months. And then Gabby's, Gabby's parents came to visit. And here's the thing about my father-in-law. He is also, he's got the handyman gene. He can do anything. He can fix anything. He flipped houses for a while. And, and just, he just kind of loves that type of stuff. And he, and he came and immediately he, he had all these ideas for our, our house. And in our living room in that house, it was kind of configured a little differently. It wasn't like a perfectly square room or space. It had kind of a, a diagonal wall and there was a fireplace there. And then our TV was above the fireplace because that's where the builder put the cable jack. And so we're sitting there and we're just kind of you know, watching up with our, with our necks kind of tilted like we had just gotten accustomed to doing. And my father-in-law said, well, wait, why don't we move the TV to a different wall? And I looked at him and I said, we can't do that. The cable jack's on this wall. And he said, well, hold on a second. My father-in-law, the next moment I know, he's up in our attic, like crawling around, pulling, pulling cables and, and dropping them down other walls and uh, cutting holes in the wall that kind of, that made me nervous. Uh, and we're, we're, we're relocating. All of a sudden, our TV is on a completely different wall. It's not above a fireplace. It's, it's great. Uh, and, and then he tells me, well, all you need to do is just go get a flat plate. You cover the, cover the hole where the cable was uh, above the fireplace. And so I was like, okay, I can do that. And I go to the store, I get the flat plate, I come back to put it on. And, and I noticed that there's a big space, like the, because that was at an angle and the, there's a wall that went this way and this way, there was like a big, like closed in space behind where the cable jack was. And so I decided to get a flashlight and just look in there and just see what I find. First off, I found that that apparently was the place where all the builders threw all of their like uh, Mountain Dew cans and uh, chip bags and all that stuff was right in that spot right there. Uh, but then the, the, the next thing I saw when I looked in there was a pile of nails. And these were extras. Apparently, I think one day they were probably just cleaning up and they didn't have a trash can and they knew that's where they dumped all their pop cans. They're just like, well, dump that in there. And then they boarded it up and, and drywalled it up and, and painted over it. And those nails were just in there, you know, lost for eternity, just piled up. And, and I, I don't know why I'm like this. Sometimes I get sad for inanimate objects that don't get used, right? I feel bad, like, oh, those nails, they, they're just going to be in there forever. They're not going to get to be put in a wall. They're not going to get to be used. Um, but this is, this, is what I, this is what I figured out about the nails. Um, a nail, when put into a board or a structure, all of a sudden does not take on just the identity of a nail, and all of a sudden, it takes on the identity of the structure for most things, a house. You know, you don't drive down the neighborhood and look, oh, that's a, that's a really cool looking 3,000 nails, 200 sheets of drywall, four coats of paint. You're like, you don't talk about a house that way. You don't talk about the individual parts. You talk about the house itself. See, when a nail becomes a part of a structure and takes on that identity, it becomes something much bigger than itself. And if we are going to live this scent lifestyle, this hands and feet lifestyle, we have to live for something bigger than ourselves. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, you know, if you think about this idea of, of living to be, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, this, this isn't just a church idea. This is, a, this is something that's uh, gaining more and more traction in, in the world around us today. Uh, 
business leaders uh, are, are trying to figure out how they can make their employees feel like they're a part or, or, or uh, they're contributing to something greater than just their daily tasks, right? Uh, when, uh, when JFK visited NASA in the 1960s and the, at the, the start of all the, the space race and getting a man to the moon, uh, he wanted to go there and, and meet the, the employees of NASA. And when he walks in, the first employee he meets is a janitor. And so he shakes the, the guy's hand, the janitor, I'm sure never thought that morning when he was going to work that he was going to meet the president. But he did, and he shook his hand, and he said, Sir, uh, what is it that you do here? Uh, JFK said this to the janitor. And the, and the janitor responded back, and he said, well, Mr. President, my job is to put a man on the moon. The janitor was a part of something bigger. It wasn't his job role was probably to empty trash cans and to, to run the vacuum and, and, and sweep the floors and, 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 and um, you know, drive. I don't know if they had the Zamboni machine things that they would go up and down the hallways with, but I'm sure that's, that was his role. And then when he was asked what his job was, he responded back to put a man on the moon. There's a guy who's a part of something much bigger than himself. He realizes that if he doesn't do what he does, then all of a sudden the person next to, the person uh, that is maybe above him or has the job that, that, that in the offices that he cleans and does these things for, then all of a sudden they have trouble doing their job, and all of a sudden they, the next person has trouble doing their job, and so on and so forth, and all of a sudden it impacts NASA being able to put a man on the moon. I'm sure uh, through at some point in time in, in the different jobs and things that you do, you've, you've sat in those things where they've, they've communicated with you. You're a part of, of something greater, part of something bigger than yourself. When David Brooks uh, was talking about graduation speeches in the New York Times, he said this, Commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow their passions. Be true to yourself. This is a vision of life that, that begins with self and ends with self. But people on the road to character growth do not find their vocations by asking, what do I want from life? They ask, what is life asking of me? How can I match my intrinsic talent with, the, uh, with one of the world's deepest needs? And then uh, on Memorial Day weekend, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that this is the, the, the mindset of the thinking that our armed forces take on it, aren't they? Being a part of something greater than themselves. And this weekend, we, we remember those who have, who have died on, on battlegrounds and, and, and different areas because they were a part of something bigger than themselves. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, so so God, has, God has equipped us. God has sent us. And now he's calling us to be a part of something bigger. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 20 here, uh, Paul is uh, talking to the church in Corinth, and he wants them to understand that, guess what, not only are you a part of something bigger, you are a part of, some, of the biggest bigger that there can be, uh, if that, that sounded like a Dr. Seuss thing right there, but you're a part of something bigger, and this is the, this is, this is the greatest thing you, you can be a part of. It's called the body of Christ, and this is what he says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed, in the, placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We are all different. We are called to be different. God has equipped us and given us um, abilities that help us to function within this larger body that is the kingdom, that is the, the church, the body of Christ. Uh, I think of just my own situation. When I was, uh, when I was in junior high, uh, I was, uh, I, my uncle led worship at our church. And one Sunday night he came to me and he said, I, I need help. The person that was supposed to run the projector didn't come, so I need you to help me. And when I say projector, I really mean project. I don't mean what we have here this morning. I mean the kind of projector that when you hit, you have like the little remote that comes up and you hit it and it, and it spins. Um, this, is, this is what he was asking me to do. Uh, and, and I went up there, and the slides weren't in order, and, and so then I was going to pull things out and, and do all this on the fly. And um, I remember that night. That's when this first became really clear to me. And we talk about the fact that God gives us a, a gifts and abilities after we become believers, after we, be, after we, we kind of get an idea of what God wants for our life. Uh, this was before I, I was ever called into ministry. I could tell God was doing something in my life, um, but I didn't know what. And that night, when I was sitting up in the balcony during, during the, well, the church service is going on down below, it was almost like God just opened my eyes to everything that's going on in a church service. The important parts that everybody plays, whether it's the, the speaker or the worship leader or the band members or the, the tech people in the back or the ushers or, um, you know, the person handing out the bulletin, whoever, whoever it is, like, all of a sudden I realized all these parts come together to matter because if they're not there, if they're not working right, if they're not working properly, that can then affect somebody being able to be, to be um, coherent to God at that very moment. Um, and, and so God equips us and he calls us and he, and he gives us the opportunity to be a part of something greater and bigger. And that greater and bigger, like I just talked about, is the body of Christ so this morning, I want us to look at five things. Um, of the slide, I, I call these the five must-do things to live for something bigger. Uh, that's really, it's, these are just ideas, things to consider. These aren't the only five things um, that you can do, but these are things that, as I was studying this week and I was thinking about what we were going to talk about, these five things came to mind. These are things that um, it would help us uh, to be a part of something bigger if we made sure we did these things. So number one, Number one is to stay connected to the source of your passion. Um, and uh, during, the, during the Easter series that we, we completed not too long ago, uh, it was called Passion. And we talked about the importance of passion uh, in our life. You can have all the knowledge and the skills and abilities, but if it's not connected to a passion, it's, it's, never, gonna, it's never going to accomplish what it could. Um, and so the importance for us, if we're going to be a part of something bigger— to be connected to our passion. Our passion is Jesus. Um, 
In fact, so much so that in Colossians chapter 2, Paul, uh, is, he's writing to the church there and he's actually warning them, hey, be careful of the people who have become disconnected from their passion. He says this in chapter 2, verse 19, they have lost connection to the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. When we become disconnected from the source of our passion, uh, in, in the work world, I know passion is what um, drives many of us to do what we do. My wife is a school teacher. Uh, when we lived in Oklahoma, uh, many of you maybe saw in the news over the last few months the teacher strike that went on in Oklahoma. Uh, my wife got to experience some of the things that they were all frustrated with. The, the lack of funding, the, the, the fact that the classrooms didn't have the supplies that they needed, the, the fact that their school was, uh, was old and had issues that were never fixed or just duct tape or masked over. Uh, my wife had to, to work and operate in those conditions but you know what? The thing that made her be able to deal with all of that, she would come home and she would tell me a story about a student getting it. The light coming on, them, she's, them being able to realize and figure out a word that they didn't know, they'd be able to recognize a letter that they didn't know, they'd be able to write their name, do all these different things that they couldn't do, and that was enough for her to, to, to look past all of the other things and to be able to go on uh, and, and continue to teach in, in, in a situation that maybe could have been frustrated, uh, frustrating for others and causing them to quit if they weren't connected, they didn't have the passion for the students. And, and so I, I know teachers are like that. If, if we become disconnected and that passion becomes disconnected, it's really, easiest for, it's really easy for us to quit. I don't know about you, but in, in, in my life, uh, when I have become disconnected or maybe um, not as connected to God as I have been, I notice it. I can feel it when I worship. I can feel it like all of a sudden things become awkward or odd to me that weren't before. Um, if, we, if we become disconnected, it's really hard for us to stay a part of something bigger. Number two, be willing to be last. And uh, what, what I mean here. Uh, by being willing to be last. I mean, being willing to let yourself uh, be second. When you think about what you need, when you think about the way life is going for you, be willing to put other people's needs above your own. Um, not, not, uh, not having a selfish attitude. When you think about the way that sin first entered the world, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, the serpent in the garden with Adam and Eve. What was it that the serpent convinced Adam and Eve to do. He convinced them to eat the apple. I mean, he convinced them to do it because God was holding out on them. They were, God was keeping back something from them. If they would just eat this, they would get this knowledge that God wasn't allowing them to have. And all of a sudden, they put their self, their, their own interests, their own motivations in front of what God had asked and directed them to do. And that's it. That's the, that's, if, we, if we get a selfish attitude, if all of a sudden everything just has to be all about us, it's it's impossible to be a part of something bigger because the biggest thing you'll ever only be able to be a part of is yourself. Um, lately, I've been reading and, and thinking about the story of Nehemiah a lot. And in the very beginning of, of, of the book, Nehemiah, we meet Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king of Persia, the big, one of the biggest uh, empires. They had, they had sacked uh, Judah, and they'd kind of taken their, their brightest people away and left the city of Jerusalem in ruins, and, and they had the best and brightest living with them in, in, uh, in Persia. And, and the, the king um, had placed Nehemiah as the cupbearer, and it wasn't just that he was the cupbearer. The king was well aware of who Nehemiah was. The king was well aware he could recognize the moods that Nehemiah was in. 
Like he knew him that well. And if you can think of to be in a really powerful empire, to have that position, to be, um, to be, to be recognized so much so by the most powerful person in that kingdom that they know whether you're having a good day or a bad day, that's a pretty comfortable place to be, right? If you, if you were, I mean, if you were to think and look, look at all of the different things going on in the world at that time, that place right there, the cupbearer, that's a, that's a pretty awesome gig, right? Well, then all of a sudden, uh, it tells us in the book of Nehemiah that one of his brothers comes to him and he shares the dismay of the people back in Jerusalem. The fact that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been burned and, and, and the people have no national pride. And, and he just is hearing how awful it is for his own people. This, this, this thing that he was actually, the bigger thing that he was a part of, the, 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 the people of, of uh, Judah, the people of, of Jerusalem, they were, they were lacking in, in, in pride. They were lacking in safety. They were living in awful conditions. It'd be really easy for Nehemiah to hear that story and to think, well, I feel bad for him, but I'm pretty comfortable here. Giving this up would, I mean, it would just, to, to, wreck, the, to wreck the setup I got right now, that would just be, that would just be dumb. So I'm just going to stay put. It'd be really easy for Nehemiah to probably say that. But Nehemiah understands that he is a part of something bigger. And he knows that if he, if he leaves his comfortable life that he had there, if he puts his, his own needs second, and he goes and, he's, and, he, and he helps his people out, all of a sudden that thing that he's a part of, that bigger thing, um, all of a sudden that's going to be allowed to flourish. And all of a sudden his impact will be even more so felt. And so he does that. He leaves and he goes back and he helps to rebuild the walls. And he helps to restore pride. And he was willing to put himself second to do it. Number three, be willing to be inconvenienced. This is a hard one, because we really don't like to be inconvenienced. I know, I, I have sat three deep at the, the four-way stop over uh, by uh, the, the Lutheran church and the school and everything right over there, and I have been frustrated that cars are sitting there not going, and they're trying to wave somebody else through who's not paying attention, and you just don't like to be inconvenienced. And I know I'm probably not the only one, right? Um, we, we don't like it. Uh, but here's the thing. If we're willing to be inconvenienced for the greater good, for the bigger thing that we're being a part of, uh, all of a sudden we'll be able, we'll be able to, to experience a life so much richer, so much fuller. And, and, and I'll explain that by this. If you think of all of the characters throughout the Old Testament, I'm just going to list off a few for you that have been inconvenienced. Look at Abraham, who had to leave his home and his family. Moses had to go back to Egypt. David had to run from Saul. Think of the character of Jesus himself having to leave heaven and come to earth um, and then to be crucified by his own creation. The disciples left their nets, their families, their livelihoods to follow Jesus uh, and to experience eventual persecution and death. Saul gave up his position and his name to become Paul, to take the gospel places uh, that would stone him, put him in prison, and eventually take his life. The only, um, the only disciple not to experience that was John, and John ended up in isolation in Patmos, on the island of Patmos, the rest of his days. Why, if, if being a part of something greater is so important, why should we be willing to be inconvenienced? This is why. 
Abraham got to have Isaac in his 90s and see God do amazing things and make amazing promises. Moses saw God's miracles over and over as well as seeing God himself. David was the greatest king in the history of God's people. The disciples saw Jesus do miracles. They were first responders to the greatest event in human history uh, and received the Holy Spirit. They got to see and be a part of the beginning of the surge of the church. Paul had his Damascus Road experience and then got to see the gospel taken to Gentiles in places that had never gone. And John got to see the revelation. If we're willing to be inconvenienced, if we're willing to say, you know what, I'll put up with this situation now to experience this later. If we're willing to do that, we're going to see things that we never thought were possible. If we're willing to uh, let God inconvenience, inconvenience us over here to wind up over here, and to, to experience this. And, and again, this isn't a promise that, that God will always work amazing miracles and do amazing things. Um, but it's a promise that God will not leave you or forsake you in the midst of those inconveniences. It won't always be that way. If, if the rest of your life is an inconvenience, then we still have the greatest reward left, and that's to be in heaven and worshiping God for the all of eternity. But we have to be willing to be inconvenienced for the greater good if we're going to be a part of something bigger. Number four, be willing to listen and to adjust. God's message stays the same, but his methods change. And if we're not, if we're not open, if we're not willing to hear uh, where God is doing things and what God is doing, what God's being a part of, God is equipping us to do all of these new things that are going on that God's starting and doing all around us. Um, if we're not willing and listening and, and being willing to adjust where we are and what God has us doing, you know, maybe God's been having you serve in a, in a place in the church that uh, you've served in for a really long time. But then all of a sudden, God says, you know what? The children's department needs help. And I know you maybe don't work that great with kids, but this role over here, like, you might, you might, do, you might do well over here. Hearing God tell you that and being willing to, to, to be connected to God enough to be and open to God enough to, to, to shift where you're comfortable, what you're doing. Um, maybe it's not even within the walls of, of the church. Maybe it's, something, maybe it's something drastic. Maybe God is calling you into a, a life of higher ministry and, and, and you're ready to take that step and do that thing. But you always have to be connected to God uh, and, and listening to Him. And, and we do that. We do that through, uh, through prayer, through, through worship, through reading His Word. And when we're connected with Him, God can speak to us and tell us what He's doing new. Isaiah 43, this is one of my favorite passages. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God's always up to something. God's always moving. God's always doing something new. And uh, we need to listen and, and be open and willing to be a part of it uh, to continue to be effective in doing the bigger thing. Number five, be accepting of those whose role is different than ours. Sometimes it's really easy to get um, frustrated because God didn't give us a certain gift or ability that we really like that somebody else has. Um, you know, I've, I've always really wanted to sing. I can't sing to save my life. Like, I mean, I can, I can match somebody else, but there's, I'm not leading worship anytime soon, okay? Um, so I, I've, always, I've always really just been, been jealous of people that can just sing. I, I can play an instrument, yeah, but I, I, I do that because I wasn't able to be in choir. I, <laughs> so I, I, 
sometimes I find myself, yeah, just jealous of people that have gifts that I don't have. But guess what? God's given me gifts that other people don't have, and he's given you gifts that other people don't have. And we're all this collection of different people that come together to form this greater and bigger thing. And it's all necessary for us to have these different gifts, these different abilities. God's calling us and sending us out in different ways. Uh, in, in, the, in the very end, in Revelation, when John's writing about walking into the throne room, and he's not, he doesn't say everybody looked the same, everybody sounded the same, everybody's doing the same thing. He said, no, there was collected every tribe, every nation, every tongue. The kingdom of heaven is diverse and different, and we get to be a part of it. And we shouldn't let, uh, we shouldn't let the fact that other people are different than us and have different skills and abilities be something that keeps us from being a part something bigger. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 and 26, its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I want to go back to the nail as we wrap up. This nail, this nail is you. And uh, this morning, I'm going to ask you, maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, no, I, I already know where I belong. I already know where I fit. God's using me. That's great. You, already, you are already a part of the structure. This nail is already a part of the kingdom. But maybe this morning, you're here and you're like, I just really don't know. I don't know where I fit in. I don't know quite what the gifts are that God has given me. Uh, I, I challenge you to find out. I challenge you to take the nail from the pile that's hidden in the wall to putting it in and becoming a part of the greater structure of the kingdom of the house. Um, if if uh, you have the opportunity over the next few Wednesday nights, Pastor Chip is going to be doing uh, a strength finder thing here in the sanctuary, I think, with you. Uh, you have the opportunity to come and, and be a part of that. You find out what, what you're good at, what makes you tick, what, what, uh, what are the top five things that um, just naturally fit for you. I, I've done this analysis a, a few times, and guess what? I found out that even though I've taken it before, it changes. Um, just every, within a few years, it changed. My top five changed. Uh, so even if you're sitting there and saying, I've already done that, I encourage you to come and be a part of it because who knows where you are now. Again, God's always changing us and moving and doing different things, and he's equipping us and changing and using us differently. And so uh, th this week, I want you to just take this with you. Take this nail with you. Maybe you, uh, maybe you put it I don't know, on your nightstand, or maybe you put it somewhere where you can see it, just to remind you, where is it that you fit into the structure? How are you a part of something bigger than yourselves? And graduates, I give you a, 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 even, a, a, an even different charge with the nail. It's so easy when you go off and your life changes and all of a sudden, you're either on a college campus, or you're in a new job, or you're, you're uh, like we even have one joining the military. It's so easy to become disconnected from the body when you go and you make these transitions and these changes. All of a sudden, your, your family's not with you. All of a sudden, your church family's not with you. All of a sudden, your, your teachers and leaders at school aren't with you, and you've got you've to plug into a new system. You've got to figure new things out. I challenge you guys... To take, these, to take this nail as a reminder to find a way to plug into the kingdom. Where can, you, where can God use you? Where can you plug in? Because uh, a lot of times when, when people go off and start new things, they, it's really easy to become 
to become lonely, not, not necessarily to become like a, a shut-in, but to, to just when you have the opportunity to go out, maybe to, to go try a, a, a new church out or to go be a part of, uh, of something within the community, it's easier to stay at home rather than to go out and do those things sometimes. But when you're connected to something bigger than yourself, it makes everything easier. It makes your transitions easier. It makes your, it makes your life more enjoyable. So if you're a graduate this morning, or maybe you just find yourself in the midst of a transition yourself. Maybe you're not a, a graduate. Maybe that happened for you a while ago, and you're just finding yourself transitioning into something new. One of the best ways you can get through that is by being a part of something bigger than yourself. Let me pray for us this morning. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just the opportunity uh, to consider being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And uh, dear God, this morning, I pray that we would all be able to find that within your kingdom. I pray that you'd, you'd show us the gifts and the abilities that you've given us, that you're sending us out to be, to be a part of this kingdom, uh, to spread the kingdom, to grow the kingdom. Dear God, I pray that you would show us uh, what these gifts are, what these abilities are. Dear God, I pray that uh, you'd be with uh, these graduates that are going out, going out into the world and, and experiencing life a little differently than than it has been. I pray that you continue to, to guide them and, and to protect them. Uh, dear God, we just pray that um, you would, that, that would be our prayer for all of us, that when we leave this place, you would guide us and you protect us. Thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. And it's your name that we pray. Amen. As you go this morning, I just want to continue to, or to, to reread this for you. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, May he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. You are dismissed.